0: Live from New York, it's the State Controller Race featuring Elliot Spitzer.
1: Elliot why service. are you late? Were you with a hooker? Oh.
0: This is uh, on? You uh, this, this is about public
1: service and that is No, this is, this, is about
0: power. You just want power, this is, man.
1: Uh, this is what I look forward to dealing with the public.
0: Service. Go volunteer. As, you know, Welcome. To It's All Politics from NPR News. I'm Ron Elving. And I'm Ken Rudin. And Ron, I think Elliot Spitzer now knows what we go through every week on the podcast. The incredible public humiliation of opening our public and personal lives up simultaneously while wearing black socks. (laughs) We are wearing black socks. (laughs) Well, let me just say, is it not curious that Elliot Spitzer should choose this particular moment to try to make a comeback in the city of New York when... As we have observed on past podcasts, there is already a sexual overhang, a certain shadow cast across the ballot by the presence of Anthony Weiner.
1: If the New York City tabloids didn't have enough fun with Anthony Weiner, uh, uh, the thought of Eliot Spitzer having resigned the governorship uh, after he frequented prostitutes, and this is what always bugged me about Eliot Spitzer, not that he frequents prostitutes, but the thing I object is the fact that as Attorney General, he prosecuted Prostitution. Those. He did. And he then, prosecuted
0: he, prostitution. And
1: exactly. Say that one time fast.
0: He prosecuted prosecution.
1: That's what he certainly did. And therefore, uh, to me, this is this is the worst part of hypocrisy.
0: It would be hypocrisy in many books, in many people's books. And so even as he announces his candidacy this week, he's beset by hecklers, as we heard at the beginning of the podcast. And how is he going to do this with a straight face? Well, first of all, he
1: needs thirty nine hundred some odd signatures to get on the ballot in New York. Yeah, How many but you get thirty nine hundred signatures in three days, though. That's that's the tough part. He needs wait, it by
0: Thursday. Couldn't he get this just among you know people who had formerly worked for him in one capacity or another? The people who call him John, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so
1: that'll be tough. But um, but everybody's talking about redemption, and they're trying to compare it to not only Anthony Weiner but Mark Sanford. But there's something about Anthony Weiner and Elliot Spitzer that goes beyond a sex scandal. They're both look. All politicians, by definition, are probably ego-driven, but there's something about Wiener and Spitzer. I don't think this is about redemption at all. I think it's like, I just
0: need to be the center of attention. And the fact that I thought my career was over when I had this incredibly embarrassing scandal is not enough to stop me when I see an opportunity because of the weakness of the field. Nobody was really walking away with the mayoral nomination in the Democratic Party, although there was a front runner, It was clear that Anthony Wiener had some running room. And of course, when it comes to controller, well, there's probably Probably not that much voter interest in it in general, except that it would be a springboard, a, a launching pad for him to get back into statewide politics. Uh, personal
1: true confession. I, I, I have not said this before, but... Well, let's have a drum roll, please. Uh, or an egg roll. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but Elliot Spitzer's opponent in the Democratic primary, should he get on the ballot for a city controller, is Scott Stringer, who is the Manhattan borough president in 1976... At Scoop Jackson's presidential headquarters in Manhattan, Scott Stringer and I traded campaign buttons.
0: Well, I think you disqualified from any further commentary on this race. Or anything. <laughs> or or <on laughs> probably anything. Absolutely. <laughs> so Stringer has pretty much, you know, spent his life... There in Manhattan, becoming the Manhattan Borough President, which is a substantial role. Robert Wagner. Before he became mayor. Mayor was was
1: Manhattan Borough President. There you go. Percy Sutton was Manhattan Borough President before he didn't become mayor. I was thinking of Percy Sutton. You're thinking of the bank
0: robber. That was Willie (laughs) Sutton. By the way, while we're talking about confusion, (laughs) is there any possibility you could explain to us why New Yorkers call the office that Spitzer is running for controller but it is spelled C-O-M-P-T-R-O-L-L-E-R.
1: I don't know the answer to that, but as long as I've been alive, and that's over 20 years, um, not only in New York City, but state controller as well, spelled C-O-M-P-T-R-O-L-L-E-R. Okay, so what is it? New Yorkers can't
0: spell or New Yorkers can't read?
1: Well, they can't pronounce. They can't pronounce. But in California, it's controller, C-O-N-T. In other words, I don't know the answer to it, but outside of New York, people pronounce it comptroller. But... So this is
0: just another way New Yorkers have of making sure that they can tell when somebody else is not a New Yorker. That's, that's correct. Okay. Okay, but of course, it's a big issue, as we've made clear, that a lot of people don't think that Spitzer is at all serious about actually doing this particular Office. No, he's ca- just no.
1: Let me interrupt. I think he is very serious about it because, as Attorney General, he had these amazing ideas. He was very aggressive as Attorney General. He was a disaster as Governor. But now, city—if he's running for Controller, if elected, that he's talking about redefining the role of the Controller.
0: Yes, and if he were to do that, of course, it would infringe on many of the prerogatives of the mayor's office, and that could be another way in which he is an irritant, which he already is here to Anthony Weiner. So, how much is all this about? the old Spitzer-Wiener kind of problem, the old rivalry. Spitzer was asked that question this week. It was
1: it was influenced by one question only, and what I thought the answer to that question was: Can I make an argument to the public to give me a chance to work for them once again, as I did as Attorney General, an Assistant District Attorney, as Governor?
0: And those, that is the only question I asked. It's the question I hope to answer day in day out for the next 64 days. Wow, wow, that's going to be quite a 64 days. We're all assuming, of course, that he can get the petition signatures and that he will yeah, get on that. And, and then obviously the New York City
1: tabloids, which have been having a field day with the Anthony Weiner is just loving this picture, of
0: Now, okay. just across the Hudson, you've got another state. It also has new in the name. Right. Um uh, Jersey, New right. Jersey, uh-huh. and there we also have a couple of interesting races coming up this fall. Now, the one for governor doesn't look like much of a contest. On the Senate side, is Cory Booker going to have any real problem getting this nomination
1: it, or election? Doesn't sound like it. Of course, we're talking about the October election, not the November election, because Chris, Christie, because Chris them. Christie said, "Look, this is very important. This vacancy cannot last all the way into November." Those so nineteen days I were know. crucial. I know
0: crucial days.
1: So, in the October election, first of all, there's, it's an August primary. Uh, The latest polls have uh, Cory Booker, a huge lead. Oh, he's over 50%
0: against the field of several Uh, candidates. Frank
1: Pallone, the congressman, is in second place, many, many points below. Although he does have the votes of all the Lautenbergs. Well, you know, something, that was an issue from the beginning. Lautenberg himself and his family resented the fact that Cory Booker was talking about running for the Senate while Frank Lautenberg still had not, one, he was still alive, but two, had not decided his options
0: yet for two thousand. Yeah, he hadn't retired and he hadn't right. died and Booker was already talking about running. That was taken as an insult by a lot of the people in the family. There's another thing that Frank Pallone is trying to focus on. The
1: fact is that Cory Booker is very close with Governor Christie. They, they, they get along well. They've done things with their families together. And clearly he didn't run against Christie when many Democrats wanted him to run against Christie. So again, I think that it may be interesting, but ultimately I think Cory Booker wins the nomination in August, wins the election in
0: October. Okay, we're, we're, we're jumping all over New York and New Jersey because those are pretty sexy races that have been getting a lot of attention. Uh, back down here in Washington before we move on to some of the other senatorial elections and gubernatorial elections that are coming up, back here in Washington it's been a, another rocky week for President Obama. He's got the Egyptian quagmire, which there really is no group to stand with in Egypt. You've got these contending forces, some of them Islamic groups, other them more extreme Islamist groups, and you have the military. None of the options looks like some place where the president really wants to say, that's the people we're backing. Which is
1: not too dissimilar
0: from Syria. I mean,
1: basically, it's been a very Just silent... Bigger. It is much mm-hmm. bigger, but a very silent administration. On these
0: crucial issues of the day, I, has, he, has the president said anything about Egypt at all? He has basically said, we want people not to resort to violence. Right. And the day after he said that, as his big point... 50 people were shot in the street outside of the headquarters of the Republican Guard. Uh, meanwhile, back at home, the administration announces that it's going to delay the deadline for the employer mandate, which is one of the pillars of Obamacare, for at least a year. And a lot of people are saying, well, then we've got to postpone the individual mandate gave as well. the Republicans
1: a great argument. And I understand why the White House felt they needed to do that because businesses were not ready for it. But it gave the Republicans a great argument saying, one, as you say, if we're going to get rid of the employer mandate, then get rid of the individual mandate. And two, it just shows that Obamacare
0: can't Well, it doesn't actually show that. And of course, the long run, this may help Obamacare have a better chance of working once the deadlines really do kick in. It's a longer delay. It does have its downsides. But most people in business are relieved. If you do push off the individual mandate or at least the enforcement of the individual mandate, a lot of individuals will be relieved. And the system has more of a time to absorb all these changes. It also possibly puts it a little bit out of the range of the 2014 midterm election, which is the last election that in a sense or another, the president needs to care about. Does he have the right to do this? Does he have the right to change the law that Congress passed? He has the right under the administrative responsibilities that the law gives to the departments that have to administer the law. They have to do it within a certain deadline, but they also have the freedom to say, because of these circumstances or those circumstances, we're going to push the deadline off. It would be an ironic moment for the House of Representatives to say suddenly, we want to repeal Obamacare. We voted to do so 37 times. But now that you're delaying the implementation of it, we want to force you to impose it on the American people faster. You know
1: that John Boehner and company are going to have a vote on the employer mandate and also on the individual mandate. And of course, all the Democrats will vote for the employer mandate, the delay, because that's what President Obama wants. But then how do they vote against the individual mandate?
0: Well, they can do whatever they want. The Senate's not going to take it up. And unless the two chambers act in concert, as we have learned so many times, the action of one chamber is not going to have any particular meaning. And by the way, that's what's going to happen to the immigration bill as well. The Senate acted, but the House is not going to. It doesn't look
1: like that at all. As you say, though, it's been a rough couple of weeks for President Obama and the administration.
0: Sometimes, in fact, when you look at just how poorly Congress is functioning, particularly between the Senate and House and trying to have the old sort of conference committee to work out their differences and compromise, you have to wonder why people are so eager to come here and be part of it.
1: Speaking of which, I was watching the Alison Grimes candidacy rollout in Kentucky. She is, of course, the secretary of state.
0: Many people know her as... Alison Lundergan Grimes. Well, Lundergan, let's, of course... Let's get the Scandinavian and,
1: name in. And Lundergan, yeah. of course, is her father who was a former Democratic state chair. Uh, but Alison Lundergan Grimes uh, is the last remaining Democrat... In so, the
0: state of Kentucky, <laughs> as I understand. ...who
1: they please run against Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, of course, seeking a sixth term. He never wins overwhelmingly. His How num- is he going to get to a seventh term if they don't give him a sixth? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. Uh, I, I think we could use a fifth right now. My only point is, is that... When Alison Lundergan Grimes launched her candidacy to take on Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, talking about running for Congress in the worst way, her announcement was in the worst way.
0: During this process, the question never was:
1: Is Mitch McConnell vulnerable? The question never was: Does Kentucky deserve a change? The answer to both of those two questions remains and is yes. The question before my supporters that we have been working diligently on is how best can we continue to make a difference and move this commonwealth forward. Ultimately, voters will decide whether they want Mitch McConnell back for a sixth term or not in November of 2014. But for a beginning of this candidacy that's supposed to rescue the Democrats, it wasn't too promising.
0: No, it wasn't. But, you know, conventional wisdom says here Mitch McConnell is not going to lose his seat unless he's very badly bloodied in some kind of a primary if he were to get a challenge from the right in his primary next year. Is that going to happen? Doesn't look like it at all. Not only, I mean, we've known for the longest
1: time that Jesse Benton, who was Rand Paul's campaign manager, is now... Uh, Mitch McConnell's campaign manager.
0: Keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, it's been talked for the longest time that a conservative challenger will, will emerge to take on McConnell. Doesn't look like it's happening at all.
0: A couple of other women are talking about running for the Senate in 2014. One of them looks pretty serious about it, at least, and that's Liz Cheney, daughter of the former vice president in Wyoming. Well, this is interesting. I mean, there's always been a question whether Mike Enzi will run for another term. And he's I'm, the incumbent senator. Incumbent, Republican incumbent, from Wyoming. Very
1: conservative. A lifetime, 93% American Conservative Union rating. Um, yeah, but that's not 100, is it? No, no, it's not 100. But more importantly than that, he's 69 years old. He's not Yeah, but that's new. not 100, is it? No, no, it's still 69 years old, but he's not new leadership. Liz Cheney's argument is not that uh, Mike Enzi isn't conservative enough, but he doesn't represent... The future. And Liz Cheney does. So she's out there campaigning, basically, uh, whether Mike Enzi runs or not, and it's splitting the Republican Party in Wyoming in two. And basically, that's every voter in Wyoming, because there's, as you well remember, no Democrat has been elected to the Senate from Wyoming since Gail McGee. Remember her? I do, yeah, yeah, she except great. it was a man. It is, exactly. And since 1970. Wow.
0: But that's not 100, is it? <laughs> So, look, if we stop and think about Wyoming as a place where the Republicans might actually have such a division that there would be an opportunity for a Democrat. Nah, won't have it. Won't happen? No. Forget about it? No. But look, if she's trying to push Mike Enzi out here just by hustling him off the scene, a little bit like Cory Booker in New Jersey with Frank Lautenberg, if that's what she's really about, wouldn't there be another figure who would be a more logical successor to Mike Enzi if he were to simply retire? Well, Cynthia Lummis, who's the state's only member of
1: the House, she's a Republican. She'd probably have the backing of Mike Enzi and the political machine that backs
0: him. But what about the Cheney family itself? I mean, haven't Mike Enzi and... Say, Dick Cheney, perhaps, always been on pretty good terms? They've all been in a great terms, and that's what's so
1: troubling to many Republicans. Alan Simpson, the former senator, who, of course, is not the most conservative guy in the world, but is very close with the Cheneys and with the uh, NZ, said this is really splitting the party. So Dick Cheney remains very popular in Wyoming. Of course, he hasn't run for Congress in Wyoming since... Wow, since wow. 80 uh, 1988
0: would have been H. the last time he was elected. No,
1: no, 88 actually, he became no, no, it, Secretary of Defense. No, no, 89. 89, he, right, 88. And so
0: he did run and he did win in 88. Right. But, but the only other thing he's run for since then was Vice President.
1: Right. And how did he do there?
0: Yeah, he did uh, Did good. Yeah. He uh, won once Well, he in won, 2004.
1: Yes, but he was uh, President for eight years.
0: That's right. And it's hard to be President for eight years when, when you only Vice win president the popular vote once. For
1: Vice President. <laughs>
0: Well, there's also another... Oh, I see you were making kind of a George W. Bush dis joke there. And that joke. So speaking of Cheney being president for eight years, I see on the Internet that George W. Bush has actually reemerged yet again into the public sphere. The former president, of course, was very clear that he thinks that
1: immigration law should be changed not because it'll help the Republican Party. Oh, not because of that. No, 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 I, I really... And really, the Bush family has always yes, been on this side. They really have. The, the system is broken and, and, and it just needs to be fixed. And so, uh, I don't, look, they didn't listen to him in 2007 when he was president and tried to change it. I don't know what effect he's going to have uh, on it in 2013. Well, he's
0: now. simply reiterating what has been the Bush family position on Hispanic participation in the culture for a very long time. That they think that Hispanics should become citizens, that people who have come the country, even if it was illegal, should have some kind of a path down the road, pay the fine, do all the things you have to do, wait, 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 and eventually become a citizen. That's always been the Bush family position. He's been very clear on that. And, of course, he is also aware of what the electoral ramifications are for this issue in Texas. And... There are a lot of other Republicans, including some of the people who in the past have supported some kind of comprehensive immigration overhaul, like, let's say, William Crystal of the Weekly Standard magazine and Rich Lowry of National Review, uh, who have been more or less supportive of some kind of loosening of the process Who are coming out against the Senate compromise, the Senate immigration bill, and saying it's fine with them if the House kills it. You know, you were talking about George Bush when he was governor of Texas and and the strong support he
1: had among Latino voters. Well, of course, when he left the governorship, there's a guy named Rick Perry who took over in December of 2000. Of course, Rick Perry is the longest serving governor in the United States and also the longest serving governor in Texas history. He announced this week that he will not seek another term in 2014.
0: You know, I remain excited about the future and the challenges ahead, but the time has come to pass on the mantle of leadership. Today, I am announcing I will not seek re election as governor of Texas. I will spend the next 18 months working to create more jobs, opportunity, and innovation. I will actively lead. This great state. So wait a second. Why do people wait until the last 18 months of their term to I, do something like that? I have that? a question.
1: He's not going to run for re-election, but he might run for president in 2016. Isn't there a third thing?
0: And let's see. Oh I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. So, uh, Rick Perry, a man who is indeed familiar with challenges. I wonder, though. You know, he. So, of
1: course, he's talking about 2016. He's been quoted as saying that he faced the weakest field of Republican candidates in history and they kick my butt. Yep. It's going to be a stronger certainly more conservative field of candidates in 2016 if it's Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz.
0: He might not even be the leading candidate no. from Texas. No, he may not. And if he's out of office at that point and doesn't seem like at the time they were touting him as some kind of second coming of Ronald Reagan, no one's going to think of him in those terms again. He's lost his mystery moment. He's lost his man of the moment sort of sense. And it just seems that if he tries to run in 2016, he's going to be an also-ran. He's going to look more like Lloyd Benson than he's going to look like LBJ. And I almost think that uh, leaving the governorship,
1: probably not that the Republican Party was in danger of losing the governorship in 2014, that's several years away, but for all the talk about Wendy Davis running for governor and being a strong candidate against Rick Perry, well... Now it looks like the Republican candidate would be Greg Abbott, the state attorney general, who has tons and tons of money, doesn't have the Rick Perry baggage.
0: You're talking about Wendy Davis, and of course, she is the woman who is a state senator there in Austin, Texas, who became famous, became a heroine of the pro-choice movement uh, with her extraordinary single-person filibuster of the abortion law in Texas now. The the first go-around. The first go-around now, of course. Rick Perry called another special session, and they're debating this week uh, whether or not to pass that law. Looks like they're probably going to do it. Looks like she's not going to be able to stop it. But she will have made herself the leading figure, if you will, of Texas Democrats and liberals. And she's going to have a sudden burst of support if she does want to run for governor next year or at some future point when Democrats might have a little better shot in yeah, Texas. It,
1: it, see, I, I agree with the
0: latter part. I think every time we talk about uh, up-and-coming Democrats
1: in Texas, we talked about this with the Castro brothers. uh of-
0: Leon and Joaquin. That they're going to be leading.
1: Uh, they're going to be running for governor. They're going to be the next governor of Texas. That is still many years off. That's why I'm kind of thinking that Wendy Davis doesn't run in 2014. Is
0: there a congressional seat she could run for? Lloyd well, Doggett's, perhaps.
1: Well, he's not retiring anytime soon. I think uh, Wendy Davis is not going to run in 2014. I think her better days are ahead of her. But there's another famous political female who's been in the news this week, as always, who I think her best days are behind her, and that's Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin announced, told uh, Sean Hannity this week that
0: she's considering running for the Senate in Alaska against Mark Begich. That did not sound like an announcement, and it did not sound like a pre-announcement. It sounded like, don't forget about me. Which is
1: always what she does. She always said, well, I may run in 2012, don't forget about me. That's been Sarah Palin's M.O. from the beginning. She just does not want to be forgotten. But as far as her, her running for office, first of all, I can't imagine her being in Washington in the Senate for six Can you six imagine years? her
0: wanting to be no. in the
1: Senate? No, no.
0: I mean, you can see Wendy Davis wanting to be in the Senate and some of these other people for sure. Oh, governor, yeah. But you cannot imagine, really, Sarah Palin being happy in the Senate for more than a matter of weeks or months. Well, Plus, she's well, she just, wasn't a happy governor for four years, so she... She barely got through two. Other, the The uh, other question, of course, is her Fox contract. She just got back on Fox fairly recently, and if she decides she wants to run for the Senate, she's going to have to walk away from that again. But she did do a little dig, which
1: is very typical of, of Sarah Palin, she said when she was criticizing Mark Beggar, she said I don't like the idea of people coming from dynasties, from family dynasties and of course by criticizing the Beggages she also criticized the Murkowskis, Murkowskis. Yeah, which is vintage Sarah Palin
0: Nonetheless, we are talking about Sarah Palin again and that of once more demonstrates the power that she has to make people pay attention to her and this podcast And that's it for this week's political podcast. You
1: can follow NPR's political coverage at npr.org slash politics.
0: I'm Ron Elving.
1: And I'm Ken Rudin. The podcast is produced by Brackton Booker and edited by Kathy Shaw.
0: That's easy for you to say. Join us again next week for It's All Politics from NPR. Sarah, Sarah, whatever made you want to change your mind?